Welcome back into another awesome episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. And we are fired up, locked, ready to go tonight as four awesome guests join the show. And Jeff, what's our batting order for tonight in these four guests we have? Yep, uh, leading off, we're going to have Janet Marie Smith, uh, Mississippi native from Jackson, Mississippi, uh, has a good time talking with you about baseball. She has uh, had her hands on several uh, baseball parts throughout this uh, throughout this country. So she was a she was a good interview. Yeah, man, she was a lot of fun to visit with. Jeff, you mentioned it has had her touch on, of course, kind of her brainchild was Candom Yards back in the day, but then uh, her touch on Fenway and then also Dodger Stadium. So. Lock in, listen to that when she was going to visit with and then uh batting in that two spot, Jeff, who do we have? Yeah, we got Haley Chat Chapman, uh volleyball coach for the Pearl River Community College Wildcats. Got a big game tomorrow night, a play in game. Uh it's postseason time for hard court volleyball and uh it's got a play in game against against Gadsden State. Uh and then after that we'll see uh, what holds for the Wildcats, but a big game for the Wildcats tomorrow night in volleyball. Yeah, we appreciate Coach Chatham. We, you know, you have her on uh, the day before. You mentioned their postseason uh, play. She's got a thousand things she could have been doing, but she was able to steal 10 or 15 minutes for the podcast, so we appreciate Coach Chatham doing that for us. And then in the three spot of a batting lineup, Teddy Cahill, national writer for the baseball America and um, Baseball America has been around for a long, long time, and it's kind of the authority on baseball in our country. And it was cool to be able to visit with Teddy. We start in the state and then branch out a little bit from there, uh, Jeff. But Teddy certainly has his pulse on college baseball. Yeah, he does. And uh, for all of our Pro River Central uh, fans, too, he he talks about uh, Hayden Dunhurst, no stranger to the podcast and no stranger to what he's doing up in Oxford uh, with the Ole Miss Rebels this year. That's right. And then in a four spot, the cleanup batter for tonight's program, Ben Ingram, the voice of the Atlanta Braves, play-by-play on the radio side. You know the Braves radio network, the largest in Major League Baseball. And there's a reason for that, Jeff, because a lot of people like the Atlanta Braves. Not just me, my friend, but it was a lot of fun to visit with Mr. Ingram. He gives a good preview of what the 2021 Braves will look like and kind of um, his journey. He's touched on different parts of that. I think Ben's been on the show three or four different times, and uh, it's cool to hear his insight, a Mississippi guy who has made it to what we've just described, really the biggest stage in Major League Baseball with that large radio network. And then uh, the play-by-play voice on the radio side, Ben Ingram, rounds out our interviews tonight. As always, Jeff, I appreciate uh, you producing, making sure everything kind of stays on track the best that you can from a distance. You know, COVID's got us stretched out here. We've I've recorded from my place, Jeff, back over at his place. So he can't get his hands on me or give me that look like, okay, Clay, you've, you've gone long on the interview or you've gotten way out left field on the interview. So Jeff has to roll his eyes and kind of wave at the air back at his place <laughs> while I'm at mine. So uh, we're getting closer, though, um, hopefully getting back in person to record. But as always, uh, Jeff, I appreciate you. And uh, next week, let's see, what are we? We're at the end of March, but next week I think we'll have something pretty cool 
and state for our listeners slash viewers is we're going to try to put together another Diamond Productions and Talking Ball Y'all Game of the Week. And hopefully our buddy Diamond Pascal is going to be able to roll out uh, all of his equipment and maybe put something on a video stream. So we'll get that out on our social media page on where they can find that high school baseball game of the week here in South Mississippi. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you to our listeners. We appreciate it. Look, Jeff and I say this all the time. It's not lost on us. There's a billion different ways that you can entertain yourself. We appreciate you spending some time with the podcast. Are you an avid gym enthusiast, a part-timer, or just a brand-new beginner? Well, CrossFit 534 is the place for you. CrossFit 534 is an encouraging group training facility located at 104 West Magnolia Street in downtown Poplarville. Their mission is to create a stronger version both physically and mentally of you when life outside the gym demands it. They have coach-led classes to accommodate all schedules from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Once again, that's CrossFit 534 in downtown Poplarville. Check them out on Facebook at CrossFit 534. We're excited now to be joined by Janet Marie Smith. And Janet, thank you for taking time for Jeff and I on the podcast this evening. Oh, sure. That's fun for me. Right before batting practice, I've got plenty of time. I got a kick out of your message earlier when we were trying to line up uh, the times I was in the car uh, with my wife, and I mentioned, I said, well, we're trying to line up times, and she said that the Dodgers may be taking BP in the background. I said, that's a pretty good kick for me. <laughs> we're trying to line up I know, energy. that's right. The crack of the bat. It, you, you know the world is... You know, things are still living out there. It's still, you know, got to come to life again. It's sort of the great thing about baseball. It always is a reminder that, you know, there's there's a chance for chance for spring and renewal and sort of a, a new life, a new season, a clean slate. So I think especially after this last year, even though we were thrilled that the Dodgers, you know, won the – uh, world Championship, and it's great to have the World Series trophy here at Dodger Stadium. Uh, we're still excited about the upcoming season. It's sort of, you know, feel renewed and eager to have fans come back next week. So, Janet, kind of give our youth mission the excitement there for the Dodger Blue, Vice President of Planning and Development there for the Dodgers. What is your, uh, and we'll get into your architectural background and, and the way that you touch baseball, but what does your day-to-day look look like with the Dodgers right now? Well, right now we are finishing up a $100 million project that we intended to debut in March of 2020 and uh, had to postpone for a year. So we kind of put our, our toolbox down and uh, picked it up a year later and are putting the finishing touches on a, a, a really fantastic project that's a two-acre entertainment plaza, a new front door to Dodger Stadium, and uh, just a really wonderful refresh for a building that's now the third oldest baseball park in the major leagues. When you look at the way that you've been able to touch some of these cathedrals when you talk major league baseball, you mentioned Dodger Stadium there, also able to work on Fenway. Does it make you nervous, Janet, when you're talking about like these items that um, I, I haven't visited Fenway or Dodger Stadium. They're certainly both on my bucket list, but so special to so many people. And then you tinker with it in, in some ways. Does that make you nervous when you go into these type of projects? 
know, I get so excited by that challenge. I think I just have loved working on buildings that have such heart and soul and so many memories attached to them. And I feel, I feel not nervous, but um, a sense of obligation and responsibility and, and enthusiasm for giving them a new lease on life. And especially Fenway, when I went to work for the Boston Red Sox in 2002, it was after they'd spent almost 20 years planning a new Fenway Park. And the new ownership group that I worked for, which was led by Larry Lucchino, who was president and CEO, had wanted to save Fenway Park. And they're like, are we crazy? Like, nobody else wanted to save Fenway Park. And I'm like, no, you're not crazy. Like, it's rescuing something from the brink. And uh, so it was just fantastic to have a chance to, to do that. And I, I love learning from the real fans, too. Like, I don't care how long you've worked uh, doing these kinds of projects. You are not the expert. Do not think you're going to go into somebody's house and tell them what to do. You need to kind of listen to what fans who know their stuff have to say about um, these places and what they want to see. And each one has its own personality, its own cultural norms and you know traditions of everything from the food they serve to the national anthem is different from city to city and I think that's why I love baseball so much and love these baseball parks is they're such a reflection of the city that they're in so um, now I feel like I've been given sort of the caretaker keys I feel this huge obligation but it's full of joy and rewards you know and um I, I I love I, I guess that's the point, right? The reward is having, um, in the case of Dodger Stadium, fifty six thousand fans come back to enjoy it game after game, and so can't wait for April 9th when they come. Well, because of COVID, it won't be the full fifty six thousand. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get them all back soon enough. And you you bring up COVID and and the delay, and then also the delay and fans being able to to come back. So the all-star game that was slated to be there this past season, Atlanta will get it this coming year, and then it will go back to Dodger Stadium. Is that a good timeline, uh, Janet? Yeah, it comes back in 2022. And when when it was postponed in 2020, Major League Baseball said they didn't want to unravel the plans and the commitment to Atlanta. I think um, our president and CEO, Stan Kasten, said at the time, probably all the better that it's two years out so that COVID will really have um, hopefully dissipated fully enough that we can uh, plan with gusto and confidence. And I, I think he's right. I think we uh, we all look back on the days of March of 2020 when they were saying, gasp, this could last as long as Memorial Day. And here we are a year mm-hmm. later still clawing our way out of it so we're happy to have a year to work out the kinks in our new project and see how fans react to it and make adjustments and uh come back you know have to have fans national fans attention in 2020 for the all-star game yeah what a scene that should be that'll be uh, a beautiful three or four days to really take in uh, your touches on the ballpark and to honor the national past time. Something else that delayed um, Janet Marie Smith was your in- induction into the Hall of Fame here in our state in Mississippi, the Sports Hall of Fame. You're the class of 2020, but yet to be inducted into the Hall of Fame here. What 
a big honor. And how cool is that? God, that is so cool. I still am so amused by that. Like, like how did I get there? <laughs> With an architecture degree, no less. So I'm just, I am so thrilled and honored. And uh, it's like the, um, I almost forget I haven't been inducted. Like, just to be named, I'm like, oh, well, that's, there's a prize. Uh, but you're right, it really will be um, a, a really special moment when uh, the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame is able to reopen to guests and have this, the, I think this is, the induction ceremony is always one of their biggest spotlight events, and I do hope it's held far enough past COVID that we all are vaccinated and I can invite all of my my huge family and my hundreds mm. of friends from Mississippi to come and celebrate with me. Yeah, just so cool, a native of Jackson. And then when you look at, I guess, the first project that, if you will, on the sports side uh, put you on the um, sports map was Candom Yards and the way that that uh, ballpark has aged and, and the way that it is thought of still to this day and, and really the way that it brought about a renaissance and the way that parks were built and the way that they revitalized uh, cities and downtowns. Just your memories of working on that project and your thoughts on it today. Well, it certainly is a relief almost 30 years after we opened Oriel Park at Cannon Yards in Baltimore to even get that question. Uh, when I was working on that project, um, what's now, I can't believe it's 30 years. I must have been a baby when I started that. <laughs> so, uh, when, I, when I was working on that, people would often say, well, how do we know this is going to stand the test of time? You know, that park was built with public money, and so it was a valid question. How was how the public going to know that, um, that funding a park to replace a stadium that was only 35 years old was a good investment? And the answer is you don't really know. Like nobody has a crystal ball. You do your best, you, the best you can for that moment in time and hope that it stands the test of time. I think you never build a building expecting it to be um, a throwaway or recycle like an article of clothing. So knowing that it's set the standard for a new generation of ballparks and is still revered not just by those who are Oriole fans, but for so many who view it as a one of the, the top baseball parks to visit is, is really, I think, a, it's a validating, makes it a really validating experience and um, one I'm really proud to have played a, a part of. Um, and yet I've loved all of my projects, you know, <laughs> at Dodger Stadium almost, is the polar opposite of a Fenway or Camden Yards. Those two projects at least were sort of kissing cousins, both being in cities in the Northeast and in the center of an of a vibrant urban community and um, being constructed of, uh, you know, steel trusses and brick facades and an asymmetrical playing field and kind of nestled into the city. And Dodger Stadium sits like this majestic, you know, 60-year-old Grand Dame still in the middle of a city, but surrounded by one of the most beautiful public parks in America. So there's just green everywhere. And we look in one direction of the San Gabriel Mountains and the other at the skyline of downtown Los Angeles. And it's just a reminder of how different it is from any other baseball park out there. And uh, so I, I, I love 
getting to know these parks as individuals. You know, they do have their own personality, and they are so different from each other. When you think of a voice in sports, and of course, doing a, a sports podcast in South Mississippi, both Jeff and I are, are sports nerds, but has there ever been a, a better match than a voice in Vince Scully with a ballpark at Dodger Stadium? Just what a perfect marriage that was for yeah, so many isn't years. Isn't it, though? I know. And to have – it's interesting to have that voice with you for so many decades. And when you go back and look at Dodgers tapes from years ago, um, decades ago, two generations ago mm. – the voice is the same, and it's just like a miracle. It's like the soundtrack to your life. And uh, when Hank Aaron passed away um, just a month or two ago, uh, we remembered then that it was that it was a game in Atlanta against the Dodgers that he broke Babe Ruth's record. And that uh, game where Aaron broke that record was called by. No other than Vince Scully. So mm. there's that voice again. So it's just um, it's phenomenal. And I, I do think that's one thing about working for the Dodgers. It's just, um, just awe-inspiring is that you're surrounded by this, you know, baseball royalty that's um, just nonstop. You know, you walk through the doors and until he passed away, Tommy Lasorda's office was right next to mine. And, Fernando Valenzuela is just down the hall in the press box, and you know, you know, it just goes on and on. And what a, you know, what what a treat that is. Yeah, absolutely. A graduate from Mississippi State, and Mississippi State certainly uh, a baseball um, powerhouse in its own, and a, and a new facility uh, in Welch and Duty Noble. Absolutely, you don't have to tell anybody yeah. in baseball. Any, once you say Mississippi State, they've got that SEC and Duty Noble down, and they'll tell you stories that you don't know. So I've, <laughs> my credentials are good with Mississippi State on my resume in the baseball world. Yeah, that's awesome. One of our guests that we've had on quite a few times just because of his perspective and talent, uh, Rick Cleveland, of course, wrote a book on Blue Ferris and, and just a masterpiece. And then I saw in one of your press clippings where y'all got to know each other, I'm imagining during that Fenway project, uh, two Mississippi people way up in the Northeast and doing oh their thing. Goodness. I thought that was pretty cool. It was it, watching the way the Red Sox nation reacted to Boo Ferris when he came to Fenway was a sight to behold. You'd never known he'd been gone for so many years. He um, just had such a commanding presence and people he remembered Fenway Park and had stories about Fenway Park that were so special for me to hear directly from him. And the fans just would go wild when he was introduced on the field. And it was just a treat to see the the high IQ that Red Sox fans have <laughs> of their baseball is pretty impressive. And um, they all knew Boo Ferris for sure. Um, he was a great ambassador for the state of Mississippi. Janet, thank you. You bring up great ambassadors. It's so cool to see how the work you've done, the way that you've touched our, our nation's game. And just really cool to know that a, a person from Jackson, Mississippi, has, has done what you've done. So thank you, and, and we appreciate you taking well, time. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. All right. Enjoy the baseball season. 
Okay, everybody. Have you heard about the new restaurant in town? Brickside Coffee Cafe. Stop by and get a cup of your favorite coffee made by one of our great baristas and have some of our yummy breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Pancakes, bacon and eggs, the hamburgers, spaghetti and meatballs, bacon and cheese, redfish tacos, and so much more. Don't forget the Brownie Alamo. Check us out on Facebook. Order online. Stop by the drive-thru. Or come on in and stay a while. That's Creekside Coffee Cafe. We'll make you happy. Eli and Shauna Oder pride themselves on the way that they serve their customers. With that being said, they have recently formed the Magnolia Insurance Services to take care of all your business, trucking, property, and vehicle insurance needs. Please call 601-590-3676. That number again is 601-590-3676 for any of your insurance needs here in Pearl River County. We're excited now to be joined by Pearl River Community College volleyball coach Haley Chatham. And Coach Chatham, thanks for taking time for Jeff and I. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Coach, uh, wrapped up your regular season practice this afternoon. Is that the case? And your voice, we talked about this coming in, your voice is about gone, but you've given it a workout since August, right? Yeah, it's hanging on by threads. I'm going to apologize for that ahead of time. Uh, but we did. We wrapped up our, our, our regular season uh, practice today. And, you know, like we talked about, that's been going on since August. Um, but the girls were excited, excited to be able to, you know, look forward to postseason play. Um, it was it was a good game. Coach, your team 13-8 and eight going into postseason play have won five of the last six. If you're going to be playing a really good volleyball, I'm imagining this is the perfect time of year to be doing that, right? Yeah, the girls have um, just really in the last couple of weeks, you know, made it happen. They've, um, I don't know, they've just worked together and they've um, made sure that, you know, they're helping each other be successful and it's made just a ton of difference in the last couple of weeks for sure. Coach, I think Jeff, and I hate to speak for Jeff, and I know he does too, but we'd be fraudulent, I think, if we checked in with you and act like we knew a just a ton about volleyball. But um, reading the press release that, of course, Patrick Oates and his team do a f- phenomenal job, to see Diamond Jones listed as uh, top in the countries for kills per set, I don't have to be a, a volleyball connoisseur to know that she must be pretty special. Yeah, she really is. I mean, we were really blessed to be able to um, to get her here. Uh, she came last January, you know, prepared to play for this fall season. Uh, and that all, you know, got pushed back. So we've had a lot of time with her. Um, and she's just an explosive player. She's, you know, really well-trained. She's very athletic. And she has just been dynamite for our program this year. Coach Chatham, you won a couple state championships over at um, Van Cleve and now have been able to start a program from scratch starting back in 2018. What you've described is the pandemic year in this crazy season that's been a journey since August. But how cool has the overall journey been with the Wildcats to be able to um, really make your own mark and and start this program from scratch? Well, I mean – 
it's been awesome. I mean, just to, to be able to bring um, junior college volleyball to Mississippi, it's just presenting so many more opportunities to girls in our state that otherwise wouldn't get to go and play after high school. Uh, Mississippi, you know, we, we've kind of been a little behind in volleyball, uh, but the last 10 years it's just really started catching on. Even in the last two years, our high school programs added 30 new teams, like 30 schools picked up volleyball since since this program has started. Um, and then we have club teams that are popping up everywhere, and they're presenting, you know, opportunities for kids to play certain young. So uh, it's just an exciting time to, to be able to have volleyball in Mississippi at the JUCO level. So, Coach, you, you mentioned being the first team in the state to have junior college volleyball. Recruiting-wise, I mean, Jeff and I are familiar with the out-of-state limits, the recruiting uh, scope. But how do, how can you recruit, Coach? Can you go out and get whatever you want? Like, what are you limited by? Um, well, we have a roster size of 14 players, scholarship players. Uh, we are allowed four out-of-state players and then, you know, 10 in-state players. Um, that's pretty much our, you know, our limitations. Uh, right now, is just, you know, the four out of state. The travel, Coach, not being able to play um, in-state opponents, the, the, the travel that's your team, like, I guess the postseason play that we're talking about, I see it's the Alabama Community College Conference Volleyball Championship. Talk about that. I mean, there's not a short road trip, right? No. Um, you know, that's been a little bit difficult, but somehow we've made it both, like, we don't have a conference to play in, so we have no guaranteed matches. So when I start scheduling, it is a completely blank slate. <laughs> so we have to call around all over the place, just begging people to let us come or come visit us in Poplarville. And thankfully, you know, we've been able to fill our schedules uh, both seasons. Now, we've added two program, two more programs in Mississippi and Northwest Mississippi Community College and in Etiwamba Community College. So... Uh, we were happy to get to play them. Now, those are almost five-hour drives. Still, <laughs> yeah. it's good to have that in-state competition. The girls are kind of playing against girls that they know, you know, which is that was new for us this year because last year we went we went to Texas, to Florida, Louisiana. I mean, we were we went everywhere, you name it. But this year we had a little familiarity, you know, in some of the teams that we played. Coach, some spots around the state that were maybe like ahead of the curve when it came to – to volleyball, I know for years um, in state, when you looked at soccer coming on the, the Gulf Coast, the middle of the state, and then the top of the state, it seemed like we're kind of ahead. Where do we stand in Mississippi? I know you've mentioned the teams being added here in Pearl River County. I, I know that's certainly the case on the high school level, but where are kind of the hotbeds for high school volleyball in our state? Well, it sounds like it's the exact same as soccer. Um, at the very top of the state, there's a great volleyball. In the middle of the state, there's a lot of great volleyball. And then on the coast, of course, you know, you got some really powerful teams. That being said, you know, there are teams sprinkled here and there throughout the state that are, you know, coming up, like, at the state championships, the high school state championships this year. We got to see a lot of good volleyball. They added six classes for the first time ever. So we had six state championship games. And, um, it was good to be able to see teams that maybe, you know, weren't from those three regions, you know, from different parts of the state, to be able to come and experience what a state championship was like, some of them even earning state championships. Um, 
So, like I said, it's, it's growing, but those three areas are still probably the top, the top places you'll find the best volleyball. Coach, when you look at your high school success as a coach, how is that um, translated to the JUCO level? That's kind of what you're looking for on the recruiting trail, like how that's going to transfer in a, in a student athlete. But for yourself, what have been the adjustments from the high school level to the community college level? Um, I guess, like you said earlier, you know, um, this was from complete scratch. So um, previously at the high school level, I had enjoyed a couple years of success. So, I mean, I was really excited to come here and do this. I knew it was going to be a tough, tough job, but there's definitely some humility. I, you know, had to learn how to claw our way out of of some things, um, tough situations, and, um, had to learn how to take some losses again because we didn't have very many of those in my last couple of years in high school. Um, but it's been a great experience. We all need uh, a little slice of humble pie every now and then, I think. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I've learned things about myself and then all these great girls that I've gotten to coach. And, you know, the age is a little bit different, and I've had to adjust a little bit there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great experience. Overall. Coach, the coaching community there for the Wildcats, men and women, pretty special group. It's been great uh, to us to be able to get to meet so many of y'all and, and visit. Um, would you echo that, Coach, just that uh, close-knit, I would think, community that y'all have going there amongst coaches? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I didn't know too much about junior college athletics as a whole, um, before I got here, so I didn't really understand what I, you know, I didn't have anything to compare it to. But now that I've gotten to travel other places and, you know, um, hear plights of other coaches and athletes and, you know, people at, at different schools, different states even, it, it's really a special place here at Pearl River. It's, the support is just amazing. Everybody is always asking if you need anything, how can we help when you play in. I mean, I'm, every day I get a text from a coach or a, a staff member just checking in or giving us congratulations or, you know, asking when our next match is. Like, it's just it's an incredible place to work for sure. And um, I don't know. We, we feel that support huge, and I'm, I'm just real thankful for it. That's awesome stuff. So, Coach, let's turn our attention to tomorrow and, and then maybe beyond that. You have to win tomorrow. Um, and then if you win tomorrow, you're in a double elimination tournament. Am I correct there? That's correct. And so your opponent, you've you've played before. Let's let's look into them and what you expect to see out of uh, Gadsden State tomorrow. Well, um, Gadsden, we played them late February. We traveled up to Gadsden and had a good match with them. Uh, we won three sets to one. Um, they're you know they've had a program for a long time. They're well established. Um, they got good players. They, you know, they're they're consistently a strong team. Um, and last year, actually, they finished first in the ACCC tournament uh, to get the bid to go to national championship. So, um, you know, we're definitely not overlooking them. You know, the win against them earlier in the season doesn't mean anything at this point. You know, we're just we're going to try to play our very best volleyball, put our very best product on the court no matter who or what is on the other side of the net. So that's, you know, kind of how we prepared coming in 
into the play-in match. Well, Coach, good luck tomorrow. Good luck the rest of the week. We appreciate you spending time with us on the podcast. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for the luck. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Did you know the number one GM volume dealership of all of 2020 was here in Little Picayune, Mississippi? No, it wasn't in Jackson, Hattiesburg, or the bustling Gulf Coast. It was at Mossy of Picayune. That's right, Mossy of Picayune. Car buyers are driving hours for a great price and a great customer buying experience. At Mossy, you can shop, drive, and compare Chevy, Cadillac, Buick, and GMC all in one location. If a certified or pre-owned vehicle is what you're looking for, Mossy has a huge selection of trades and all fleece vehicles to choose from. You can see their entire lineup with pictures, prices, and hundreds of vehicles at MossySuperstore.com. That's MossySuperstore.com. Come in today and see why Mossy of Picune sells so many vehicles or call the management team, Frank Bonanno, Keith Henry, or Roy Penton at 601-798-7575 to schedule your appointment today. Hey folks, if you need that special sweet treat for birthdays, anniversaries, or just because, stop by and see our friends at Katie Cake and Company. They are located at 109 West Canal Street in Picayune. Let Katie Cake and Company satisfy your sweet tooth. Shh, your scale will never have to know. We're blessed now to be joined by Teddy Cahill. He's a national writer with Baseball America, and he's got his poll certainly on the college baseball scene. So we'll start local to us, Teddy, in the state of Mississippi and local to Jeff and I, we're Southern Miss guys. So uh, let's start there with what Southern Miss fans could deem a disappointing weekend, but that's an awfully good Louisiana Tech team that came into Pete Taylor Park and took three out of four. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and those, those were all really competitive games, really close games. And, you know, as a neutral, that was an exciting watch. But you're right, that La Tech team is a really – really competitive team uh there's a reason why they're ranked and you know they uh they're just a really experienced team they got they got a lot of guys back uh you know whether they were you know seniors returning or juniors returning from from last year's team and that experience is playing you know they've they've beaten arkansas they've beaten Ole miss and, and now they win three out of four to open open cusa play but you know i think that just what Southern Miss has going there, you know, they should be able to to compete for a regional berth again this year. The pitching is going really well, and I know they're not hitting as well as they'd like, but I can't imagine that that's going to continue all season long. I got to think at some point they find a little bit more offense. Yeah, it was interesting in that series, uh, Teddy. You know, the bats uh, wanted to come alive a little bit, and then the defense kind of uh, failed Southern Miss in some key spots. So that should be an interesting race and see how that west side of uh, Conference USA falls out as the season progresses. Yeah, absolutely. Just the way that they've divided it this year to, you know, minimize travel. Uh, you know, you got another four games coming up between La Tech and Southern Miss in, in a month or so. And then UTSA looks pretty good as well. So they got some good teams over there. You know, Rice has talent. They haven't really made that turn into wins on the field as much as they'd like this season. But I, I think it's a, it's an intriguing side of the division, and at the very least, knowing that there are four more games against La Tech coming up, uh, there, there should be a lot of good baseball to come uh, in, that, in that CUSA West division. 
All right, Teddy, we'll head a little north of Hattiesburg, but kind of stay on the same uh, negative theme for the home team. Um, State gets swept by Arkansas, and, boy, Arkansas just has a lot working for it. Describe that Arkansas team and then kind of give us what your long-term look for Mississippi State is. Yeah, that was a really impressive weekend for Arkansas and Starkville. Just all phases of the game, they were – they had it rolling. They were better than Mississippi State in every phase. They trailed very briefly only. And for the most part, they were just in control all the way through. They hit those, those three home runs in the first inning on Friday, and they were off from there. And it's just a really good team, really well-rounded. They've got really good pitching. They're the best defensive team in the SEC, and that showed over the weekend. And they're really good at getting timely hits. It's a deep lineup. Everyone in that lineup can run the ball out of the ballpark, and it's, I, I'm just very impressed by what the Razorbacks have built. And, you know, on the flip side, Mississippi State just clearly got beat. Uh, there's not a whole lot that they can look at and say, well, if we'd done this better, because if, if you start doing that, the, the list gets pretty long. Right. So they're going to have to find uh, a way to, to regroup because you know, it doesn't get a whole lot easier in the SEC ever this week. Uh, this weekend they got to be ready for Kentucky coming in, and Kentucky's 5-1. and one. It might be not the toughest part of the SEC schedule that Kentucky's gone five and one against, but it's still uh, still a solid team coming in. They've got to find a way, Mississippi State does, to, to find a little bit more offense. I think the pitching staff in the long run is going to be fine. They were the, statistically the best pitching staff in the country before Arkansas. Uh, not quite there now, but you know, I still think that's the strength of the team. But they, they need to get some, some more guys going offensively because it can't just be on Tanner Allen and Cameron James to, to carry the whole thing. All right, we head north in a ray of sunshine in the state. Ole Miss for the first time in, a, I guess, forever, 6-0 and in SEC play and a back-to-back sweeps, an impressive start for the Rebels. Yeah, first time in more than 50 years they're 6-0 and wow. in SEC play, which is it's, it's remarkable just when you consider how many good Southern or uh, how many good Ole Miss teams have, have come through the last 50 years. And, you know, they did it in, uh, you know, against some solid competition. I really like what that Alabama team is. And they really gave Ole Miss all they could handle in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, in the end, it was Ole Miss coming out on top. And, um, you know, they've got one of the better pitching staffs in the country, uh, certainly in terms of the top-end guys. You know, their, their top five or six guys really match up really well against pretty much anyone you can, you can find nationally. They might not have the depth that some other teams have. But, you know, in Gunnar Hogland, they've got a guy who could be a top-ten pick. Doug McKaysey is just a, an outstanding college pitcher, and he'll be a pro as well. And uh, they got some solid pieces around those two. And then offensively, uh, you know, they've, they've found a way. You know, early in the season, there was a little bit of, of slowness, but, you know, getting Peyton Chatier back healthy, that's been crucial for them. Tim Elko's hitting. I, I just think it's a really well-built club, and you know, it starts kind of with those top two starters, but you can find a lot to like about them throughout the, the whole roster. Teddy, we record out of Pearl River County here in Mississippi, and a guy that we've had on the podcast several times in that Ole Miss lineup, Hayden Dunhurst. Describe to our listeners what our local listeners, what national writers like yourself think of Hayden Dunhurst. Well, I think one of the first things that comes to mind with uh, with Dunhurst is just how good of a defender he is behind the plate. 
does a really good job with that premium pitching staff. And then he's uh, he's been better than I thought he was going to be offensively. Not that I thought he was going to be like a zero offensively, but he came in and he's hit really well uh, pretty quickly there for, for the Rebs. And, you know, it, to be that kind of complete player as quickly as he has been, uh, you know, for, for Ole Miss has really been impressive. But, you know, especially when you start talking about arm strength, and just the way he handles pitching, that, that, those are two of the things that really stand out to me about Hayden Dunhurst. We talk about defense and arm strength. Let's move over to Vanderbilt, Teddy. And there's one, two punch that's just really unbelievable. And um, your thoughts on what they have going at the top of their staff. And uh, that's kind of historic stuff, really, when you have guys that potentially, I, I'm not sure how all this will fall out, but potentially could go one, two in the draft. Yeah, we'll see how the draft shakes out. But, you know, right now we have those two guys, one and two in our draft rankings. And were they to actually go one and two in whatever order we're talking about, Kamar Rocker and, and Jack Leiter going, uh, that would be historic. That has never happened before. The closest is uh, for college teammates is, is first and third overall. And that's happened twice, most recently with, uh, with Derek Cole, and Trevor Bauer at UCLA, Cole going first and Bauer going third. That was in 2011. So, I mean, it, it's been a while since we've had something like this. And, and when you look at what the two of them bring to the table, uh, it's remarkable. Kamar Rocker was the 2019 freshman of the year. He was a crucial, crucial piece for Vandy, winning the national title. He throws a no-hitter in Super Regionals that year and, and then was almost as good in Omaha, arguably better even, given the circumstances. And then this year, Jack Leiter, you know, his last two starts, he hasn't given up a hit over 16 innings. It's uh, it's sensational. And those are his first two SEC starts because, of course, he didn't get a chance to, to pitch in SEC uh, games as, as a true freshman last year. So those two guys have absolutely lived up to, to every bit of the hype that they came to college with, which was really considerable hype. They both could have been first-round picks out of high school as well. And so Leiter, he nearly had a perfect game just a week ago. You describe uh, no hit again this week in his work. Maybe gets a little earlier hook for um, one lay, one less day rest. Was that the case, you believe, Teddy? Yeah, I think it was a combination of three things. So one less day rest because he was pitching on a Friday because it was a Thursday to Saturday series. And then they'd extended him to finish that no-hitter against South Carolina. He'd thrown 124 pitches, which is getting pretty high up there. And then the third part of it was that they didn't really need him on the mound against Mizzou. They were up 11 to nothing. So maybe if that's a closer game, even with the short rest, even with the high pitch count the week before, maybe they look at it and say, well, this is our best option. Uh, but I, I think all three of those things coming together led, uh, led him to get out of the game a little bit early. So, Teddy, if you had to pick somebody, Vanderbilt or, or South, um, to win it all, I'm imagining that's the way you would you would kind of go in, in that mix through Arkansas in there. Is there anybody out west that uh, people in the South should be paying attention to that maybe we're not? Well, the Pac-12 is an interesting case right now. They – have a lot more depth than they've had in recent years. I think there are at least a half dozen really good teams out in the Pac-12 that are you know, going to be in regionals and once they get there, you know, capable of doing something potentially. But picking a best team out there has been a little difficult to this point. UCLA came in with the most talent. 
they still have the most talent. It just hasn't quite always been there for them. They haven't clicked in the same way that I thought they were going to. So you can't count them out. Arizona has the best offense in the country, potentially. They're a little light on the pitching staff, though. So are they complete enough to really make noise in Omaha? Should they get there? I'm not sure about that. Uh, and then Oregon has been uh, the biggest surprise right now coming out of the Pac-12. Uh, but I don't think they have the depth that some of these other teams have. So I, I would go with UCLA, but I don't know that the Bruins are quite on the same level of a Vandy or an Ole Miss or an Arkansas or even you know, Texas Tech and Louisville. When you look at the log jam, so to speak, Teddy, with what the pandemic's done, the shortened draft, it's just a lot of good quality high-end baseball teams. Is it not? It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. There is no doubt about that. I mean, this is the most talent college baseball has ever had in it, and uh, it's unfortunate that this is the way it had to happen, that you know they had to have their season canceled and the draft shortened to, to lead to that. But you know, it's, uh, it does make for a lot of enjoyable viewing this season, and, and I, I'm certainly enjoying it, and I, I think a lot of people around the country are as well. Moving the draft back to All-Star Weekend for MLB, you like that move, uh, Teddy, and it makes sense for, for what reason? You know, I'm, uh, I'm a little mixed on it. I want to see how it plays out this year. I, it's definitely good that it's not going to happen while college teams are playing actively because that's been a problem in the past. And, you know, even for high school kids, if you're, your state, I know it's not a problem in the deep south there, but some of these northern states, and their seasons later because they go to school a little bit later. And, um, you know, that we, we've had cases. I remember a few years ago there was a, a player in Ohio pitching in his state championship game the morning of the draft. So anything we can do to avoid those situations is a positive. But on the flip side of that is you also have a lot of players sitting around now after the draft. And, you know, we see that in other sports, and it's fine, but we also don't see in other sports you know, the professional season already being started when they're, when they're drafting them. So I don't know. I, I want to see how this plays out. I think that a lot of it is positive. Hopefully it brings more attention to the draft because, uh, you know, they can, they can play it up maybe a little bit, especially if they are in the same city as the all-star game, like, they, like they're scheduled to be this year. Uh, but there, there are some downsides. And, and from a college perspective, it just means that everyone's making their decisions a little bit later and, um, you know, after the draft, you're, you're not looking at very long before college kids start their fall semester. You're looking at like a month. So you got to make decisions in a hurry there. And that's not just for the players. It's for the coaches, too, as they try and replace some of the players that, uh, that, that inevitably will get drafted. Teddy, man, keep up the good work. If you would, tell our listeners where they can find you, of course, at Baseball America. But give them your Twitter handle. Um, that's where I found you, and I've appreciated following you and, and seeing your great work. We thank you for taking time for the podcast, but give our listeners a, a chance to follow you out there on Twitter if you would. Absolutely. I know the people in Mississippi love their baseball and their college <laughs> baseball especially, so I'm, I'm happy to talk about it to, to the folks down there. Uh, you can find me at Ted Cahill on Twitter baseballamerica.com is the website. And we actually do have a magazine. If you're, if you're one of the people that really wants to like yeah. hold something in your hand, we do print it out for you once a month. So uh, you, can, you can subscribe to that as well. 
Yeah, and if you're a baseball nerd like me, it's something good to hold in your hand, especially this time of year. Teddy, thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Sawyer. Are you tired of shopping for the best injury for the Rose Premium? Talk to my dad and let him do the shopping for you. Call Ray Hart at A-plus. Insurances right here in Big For home, auto, business, or life. For all your insurance needs. Call 601-798-8032. A-plus insurances. The right coverage for the right price. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we offer a wide range of healthcare options. From our internal medicine clinic to advanced surgery and emergency services, from the Highland Center for Women's Health to our primary care and pediatric clinic, our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. It's always cool to visit with a Mississippi native and somebody who's gone on to do such awesome things. And so now we get a chance to visit with Ben Ingram, play-by-play -play voice of Atlanta Braves, who's got an increased role with the Braves Radio Network, which is the largest radio network in Major League Baseball. Ben, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. And excited for a new season and glad to be able to line up and talk with you today. Ben, kind of tell our listeners, if you would, uh, the the duties, the the increased role um, that you will have this year with the Braves Radio Network. Sure. Well, the, the main thing is, is I'll be in the booth just about every single night uh, doing play-by-play. -play. You know, the last 10 seasons, um, I've done pre-game and post-game and done some play-by-play -play and had my play-by-play -play role increase over the last few seasons, doing more and more games. But this year, I'll be doing full-time play-by-play. Uh, no more pre- and post-game show, so when you catch me, it'll be in the booth. So I'll be working with, with Jim and with Joe and uh, bringing you, fortunately, 162 games this season. And uh, it was good to do 60 last year and do what we could, but good to get back to normal and thrilled to be in the booth full-time and, and calling games every single night. That's what I've always wanted to do and to do that in the big league. So uh, that's coming true and uh, just a, a blast to be able to do this. Ben, can you remember um, maybe it was a high school or community college your first time uh, behind the mic to, to do play-by-play -play and, and just to realize uh, basically I would think a dream come true from that point. But looking back from your start. You know, the, the very first time I ever went on the air, it was September the 3rd, 1998. I was doing color commentary for Hines Community College, and they had a game over at uh, East Mississippi Community College. I was broadcasting with Lee Adams, who did the play-by-play, -play, and he was a mentor to me. I was 18 years old, and I always knew I wanted to do Major League Baseball, and I'd known that since I was somewhere 8, 9, 10 years old, somewhere in that area. But, um, it, you know, getting the, the chance to be on the air for the first time is still a thrill I remember very, very well. And doing that back home in Mississippi and uh, getting an opportunity to call junior college football games, that was a thrill for me. And I didn't know the path that my career would take. I didn't know all the places that I would go, but I was very excited for it and couldn't wait to see what that road had in store. And uh, it, it wasn't just getting to the big leagues that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to enjoy the path there. And I got an opportunity to do that, calling six seasons of minor league baseball and lots of high school football and baseball and basketball through the years. Uh, did play-by-play -play at Mississippi College when I was a student there at MC. 
so getting to, to do all those things and enjoy the path along the way, that was as much fun as anything. And to see that come to fruition, see the hard work pay off and, and get an opportunity to call major league games. You know, I've heard people say a lot, it, it's a dream come true for me. And, and it is that, uh, but more than anything, I think it's a goal realized. I think anytime that you have a, a goal set for yourself, you have to uh, put in place plans that'll, that'll get you there. And I think that you can work your way and perspire your way to whatever you want to achieve. And for me, that was particularly true, getting an opportunity to, to work hard, get better, always trying to refine my skills, always trying to do things and, and uh, find ways that I could get better to get to my ultimate goal, and that's to get to the big leagues. And uh, once I arrived, to me, that wasn't the finish line. That was really a, another starting block, to be quite honest, because I've got other goals that I want to achieve broadcasting in the big leagues. So um, it, it's been a lot of fun to, to work hard and meet people on the way, come away with some really good friends and some good relationships with people. And um, for me, it started there in Mississippi calling junior college football games. Incredible stuff, a, a cool journey. And, Ben, you used the uh, word journey in your description there for you. What do you think the Braves' uh, 2021 journey will look like? What are you excited to see for this ed- edition of the Braves? I think this is going to be a really good baseball team. And I think when we get to spring training and when we're coming to the conclusion of spring training, we're always very optimistic. I think any team out there has got optimism and at least hope. I mean, if nothing else, even if you know you're going to have a rough season, there's hope that, hey, maybe something could happen that we don't expect to see. Maybe we could see a team be better than we thought. And I'm, I'm usually on the side of reality. I'm usually a realist when it comes to these things. I know when the team is going to be good, when they're not going to be good, when they're going to be mediocre. And this team, to me, is as exciting as a baseball, as excited of a, of a team that I've seen in a long time. I mean, I, I think that the, uh, the expectations that I have for this team are very, very high. And there are several reasons for that. I know where they got last year. I know how close they were. I think that means something. I think that there's something that you can build on from that. And there's a confidence that comes with having success in recent seasons. And this team has won three straight division championships. They were a win away from the World Series. And they bring back everybody that they had for the most part. And they add some pitchers that they really needed. So my expectations are high. And I think this division is going to be maybe the best in baseball. It's a very deep division. And I, I feel like I've said that each of the last three or four seasons, but it feels like it gets better and better and better. And we'll see how it goes. But I think this is a team that has every element that you need in order to achieve the highest goal. I, I think on paper they are a World Series contender. It's a loaded National League with the Padres and the Dodgers and the Brewers and the Cardinals and uh, the Mets and the Nationals. But I think that the Braves can be as good as any of those teams or better. And uh, you have to have health on your side. That's the one thing you can't predict. Uh, but as far as the way that I see it lining up, uh, so long as everybody's healthy, and you can't take that for granted, but if everybody's healthy, it's going to be a really hard team to knock out. Ben, you talk about health. The Soroka injury, the timing of that injury last year, could really be like a doomsday scenario. Then you have Anderson come up, do what he did, and the Braves scoring, I don't know how many runs they averaged last year, but it was, they averaged enough, it seemed like, to win. Um you know, 60% of their ball game. So just incredible offense. But Soroka's injury, you describe what they have coming back and then you get him back. This pitching staff has the potential to be a lot of fun to watch, not this year, but years in the future too. Yeah, they do. And I think when it comes to the confidence that I have in this team, there are several reasons I have for the confidence I have in this team. 
But I think I would start with what I see on the mound. I know what they accomplished last season, and it might be apples to oranges when you're comparing 162 to a 60-game season. That being said, they still achieved what they achieved. They still were able to accomplish what they accomplished, and they did it with a cast that I didn't think would be capable of doing what they did. I don't want to take anything away from the guys who were there towards the end. I think you had lots of guys who played above a level that you'd expect to see. Uh, when you get to the postseason and you're seeing Bryce Wilson out there beating Clayton Kershaw, mm. I never thought I'd see that, not in the, not in the postseason game. Sure. Uh, we saw Max Free do amazing things. Ian Anderson had had just a handful of starts in his big league career, and he goes out there and has four postseason starts with a sub-1 ERA. So guys were doing things that you didn't expect to see them do. So when you show me all that and then you add in what you have now with Morton and Smiley and getting Soroka back, it, it really has the potential to be amazing. Uh, you did all that last season without a healthy Mike Soroka, without Charlie Morton, without Drew Smiley. Uh, and I've said it before this offseason, it, it felt like things were held together with duct tape and bailing wire towards the end. And they still almost took down the best team in baseball. So adding... Morton and Smiley having a full year of Ian Anderson, getting Mike Soroka back at the end of April or early May, and then having Max Reed be the, the, the solid pitcher that he is. I don't see a rest in there. I don't, I don't see a hole in that rotation. That's the biggest reason for my confidence in what this team could achieve in 2021. Ben, when we talk about pitching, of course, the next thing we're going to go to is defense. You're going to potentially add a wizard out there in center field every day behind this staff. How excited and intrigued are you to watch this young man out in center field? Well, I was already excited, and my excitement has grown over the last two, three spring trainings because even before Christian Pache arrived, we all knew how good he could be just from laying eyes on him at spring training. I saw him in 2018 for the first time, and I already thought that defensively he was better than anybody in the organization in the outfield. And and that's not just minor league players. That's major league players included. I thought that guy was that good the first few times I saw him. And all he's done is has gotten better. So put him in center field, move Ronald Acuna to right field. And I've seen some some plays this spring. And and I'm telling you guys, it it, it takes a lot to really make me go over the top uh, and just kind of gush over a player. These two guys have put on a show like I've never seen defensively this spring. I mean, it seems like it's a highlight every single day. Ronald Acuna had an unbelievable throw yesterday from deep right field to third base to catch J.D. Martinez trying to go first to third. I watched Christian Pache throw two players at the plate for one game the other day and also make a, play, a leaping catch into the gap uh, where he went diving and made a play. And, and I, I just can't wait to see these guys every single day for 162. Uh, it, it's not just their range, it's not just their gloves, it's their arms as well. I think they're both the total package, Acuna and Pache are defensively. So I think most fans know that, that Pache is special. I think they know that Pache, or rather that uh, Acuna is special, I should say. I think most people know that Pache can be special, and they'll get to see that every single day now. Uh, and, and getting to watch that every day in center field is going to be enormous. I think defensively, I know that Marcelo Zuna is not going to go out there and win another gold glove in left field, but I think your other two outfielders are as good as anybody out there in the league. I think your first baseman defensively is as good as anybody else out there in the league. Up the middle, you're really strong. Um, Darno is solid behind the plate, and Austin Riley's been making every single play. He's got a good arm. So, uh, and, and then you can take it to your bench as well with Adrianza and others. It's a, it's a very good defensive ball club, and while – Hitting home runs is the name of the game in 2021. You can't come away from the basics of pitching and defense, and this team definitely has it. 
Ben, how significant in the timing of the All-Star game, being in Atlanta, of course, um, losing Hank Aaron in the offseason, how special does that event have the potential to be, especially with the vaccinations uh, rolling along like they have? How special would that be for the city of Atlanta uh, midsummer? Well, it, it's a great opportunity for any team any year because you get to showcase your ballpark, your city, uh, what's special about your venue. But I think it's even more special for the Braves this season because of uh, the loss of Hank Aaron. It's a great opportunity to honor him on a national stage. And while we'll be honoring Hank's memory the entire season, uh, we'll be doing that for Don Sutton. We'll be doing that for uh, Bill Bartholomew. We'll be doing that for, for Phil Negro. We lost some humongous names in the offseason. Very impactful, important names in this organization. So I think it's very fitting to have the, the All-Star game this season because it is a stage presented to the Braves to not only showcase the city of Atlanta, uh, not only showcase the Southeast, not only showcase the franchise of the stadium, but also shed a, a lot of light on some giants that we lost in our game and, and guys that were at their core Braves. Uh, so I think that'll be very, very special. I look forward to that. I think that our ballpark is one that deserves to be seen on the national level. Uh, and a lot of folks have seen it over the last few seasons, being in the postseason uh, the last three years. Uh, but but I know that having an all-star game there, having uh, a fu- the Futures game there, the home run derby, all that stuff, it's going to be great. And it's a, going to be a great ballpark to showcase and uh, what they've done with that ballpark. And it'll be a very special weekend for certain in Atlanta. Ben, you mentioned him there in that answer. Don Sutton, what did he mean to you as a man and, and to your broadcasting career here with the Braves? I, I, I just would love to know how much time you have because mm. I can go on and on about Don. I'll, I'll start with this. Before we even touch on what Don was as a broadcaster or how talented he was, Don, to me, it just on one-on-one, was he was like my father in Major League Baseball. I think along the way, when when you get the opportunity to get to the big leagues, whether you're a player, whether you're a broadcaster, whether you're in the front office, an umpire, whatever, uh, there are ropes to learn. It's it's very overwhelming to be thrown into the big league lifestyle of uh, the busy schedule and where you need to be and how things get done and and who you need to talk to and things like that. I was overwhelmed with a lot of that stuff. And, And Don didn't have to do it at all. But Don, from day one, took me under his wing and made sure that I knew where I was supposed to be, when I was supposed to be there, how we go about traveling on the road, who you're supposed to tip on the road, uh, things like that, and just made sure that he knew that he was there for me and he cared. Uh, And that's before we even turned on a microphone. So Don was was like a father to me. I've always felt like Don was like a baseball, a major league father to me, and that Joe is like a big brother to me. Mm. Uh, the way that those guys have had a, a, an impact on my life and, and have helped me out so much, I, I can uh, I can say this that I can never repay them for it. Uh, they, they've both been so tremendously special in my life. Uh, but losing Don was one of those things where you knew that it was it was coming. You, you hoped that it wasn't for a few years, but you just wanted more and more time with him. But I've never met someone who lit up a room quite like he did. I can't remember a room that I walked into or that he walked into uh, that he was in that all of a sudden the room just didn't light up the, mm-hmm. the second that I laid eyes on him. That's just how his personality was. He was so thoughtful. Um, he was so um, – he, he had such a way of breaking things down. He had a great way of explaining things, especially when it came to what he saw on the field to the common listener. And I think that, that our listeners every single night could get a baseball lesson 
every single night. I don't know anybody who's been a better, better color man in Major League Baseball than Don. And Don hated being called a color analyst um, because he was also doing play-by-play, so he was a, a well-rounded broadcaster who could do anything. But I say that to say that his ability to break things down through the lens that he saw the game, a lens that I could never see the game through, or, or you or I or anybody else, the way that he could see things and explain things was better than anybody that I've ever listened to. And I could listen to him for hours, break down pitching, break down the game, break down strategy. Uh, and, and it became something that I was just addicted to listening to every single night because I felt like I learned something new every single time I listened to Don talk about the game. Uh, I will definitely miss that. He's somebody that I'm going to miss tremendously. And he's that he's one of those people where something will happen since his passing, and I'll pick up the phone and want to text mm. him about something that I saw with the team or uh, a, a young player, and then it hits you that you know, mm. he's not there anymore. But th- that's just how I thought of Don and uh, loved his enthusiasm for our game, loved his enthusiasm for uh, being in the big leagues and traveling and going to all the, the uh, restaurants where he knew everybody at. Uh, but he was certainly a thrill, and there will never be another Don. Ben, we can't thank you enough again for your time, man. We'll be out here listening. Continued success. Keep making Mississippi proud. We appreciate your time, Ben. You got it, fellas. Thanks so much for having me, and can't wait to do it again sometime soon. Thank you, Ben.